0: Some have said that Washington, D.C. is a city of words. In fact, there's a whole website that's dedicated to tracking the famous words found in Washington, D.C. The website says if you take a walk through Washington, D.C., you'll start to notice that there are quotations everywhere on monuments, metro stops, business storefronts, etc. Whether you live in the city or work there, or if you've just visited it, you've experienced the grand monuments and the larger-than-life words that span their walls. It's seen as the highest achievement to have your words chiseled on these walls. Well, it's not just D.C., and it's not just monuments. Wherever you go, people are building their lives based on the power of their own words. This is somewhat understandable. We express ourselves through our words, we promote ourselves through our words, and we define people by what they have said to us. In the end though, where do our words get us? This is a great question to to ask during the Christmas season, and it'll be one of the questions we look into tonight. And we just heard a reading from the beginning of the Gospel of John. Uh, In the Bibles provided, if you haven't turned away, uh, the the Gospel of John starts on page 886, and you can turn back there. As you probably noticed when these verses were just read, John describes Jesus' birth quite differently than what we find in the other three Gospels' account of the Christmas story. One of the main differences is that John begins his gospel by describing Jesus as the Word. In verses 1 and 2, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then in verse 14, we read, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory, as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Just so you don't miss this, this is how John describes the birth of Jesus. The Word became flesh. It's a beautiful passage with many poetic elements that paint an extraordinary picture of God becoming man without ceasing to be God. The manger, the shepherds, the angels, all of the elements of the Christmas story that we're familiar with, they are all present as this one verse unfolds. But it's okay to admit that these verses might raise a few questions. And these are important questions because some have heard Jesus described as the word so much that it has become an ordinary phrase that we don't think about much. And others have rarely or never heard Jesus described as the Word. And it sounds, well, a a bit strange. Jesus, the Word? What does it mean for Jesus to be the Word? This is closely connected to our earlier question, where do our words get us? And to answer all these questions, we're going to look at three quick points now. First, the power of God's word. Second, the weakness of our words. And third, the redemption through the word. So first, let's look at the power of God's word. When John called Jesus the word in his Christmas account, many different ideas would have filled the minds of his audience at the time. There was a rich tradition behind the term for both a Jewish and non-Jewish audience. These meanings don't immediately pop into our heads, so let's dig a little bit deeper here. When you see the word, capital W, in these verses, this is a translation of the Greek word logos. And that term carries with it so much more than what we might think of when we just hear someone say, word. For example, it can mean internal thoughts or ideas, reason or wisdom. It can also mean expression or message. Some have described logos as words in action. But the main thing that John's audience would have thought about when they heard logos was God's word in the Old Testament. God has revealed himself through his word. And throughout the Old Testament, we see that God's word is full of powerful action. Let's look at a couple of the key activities of the Word in the Old Testament. Creation and deliverance. God's Word creates. John opens his Gospel. In the beginning, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You may recognize this. This is a direct reference to the opening lines of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3 shows us that the Word of God Is full of power and effect. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Psalm 33, verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. God spoke, it happened. God spoke, it became. God's word creates. In addition to creating, God's word delivers. We see one example of this in Psalm 107. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. God delivers his people from destruction through his word. And in Isaiah 55, we see that God's Word always accomplishes its goal. Perfectly executed creation and deliverance. This is what John's audience would associate with the Logos, with the Word, with Jesus. But the story doesn't end there. If God can create through His Word, if God can deliver through His Word, Why did the Word, Jesus, the Son of God, need to come to the world as a man? Why was the first Christmas necessary? And this leads us to our second point, the weakness of our words. Now, to look at the weakness of our words, I want us to think about an unlikely place, the Tower of Babel. The story of the Tower of Babel is found in Genesis 11, and comes after Noah and his family were rescued from the flood, and the world begins to repopulate. The whole world at that time had one language with all the same words. One group decided to build a city, and this was not just any city. It was going to be a city and a tower with its top into the heavens. This was the tower of Babel. Through this tower to the heavens, the tower builders hoped to make a name for themselves. God saw that the tower builders were doing this to glorify themselves rather than God. They were using the apparent power of their words and ideas to try to reach into the heavens on their own. Now, to prevent this idolatrous task from continuing, God confused the words of the tower builders. And with weakened words and language, they stopped building and scattered. This was a merciful act by God. The tower builders were not going to reach heaven on their own. God mercifully ended this false self-hope. Now, we have a lot in common with the tower builders, don't we? We also like to use our words and ideas to build ourselves up make our name in this world. Promotions, degrees, cars, technology, relationships. We build these towers or monuments with our words. But our words are weak too. We say the wrong thing. Our plans fail. Unlike God's word that perfectly accomplishes its goal, Our words never quite get us to where we're going. But most importantly, like the tower builders in Genesis, our words, our ideas, our plans on their own will never get us into heaven. So with weak words, how do we reach heaven? Is it even possible? Or are we scattered and lost like those who fled the Tower of Babel? This brings us to our third and final point, the redemption through the word. Look back again at the first chapter of John. In verse 14, John describes Jesus' birth, the Christmas story, by telling us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. In that short phrase, the word became flesh, What do we see? We see all the power of God's word, the logos, everything that we have discussed tonight and more, become a man. The full power of God's word, God himself, birthed as a baby. How glorious and amazing is that? That is something we can truly celebrate this Christmas. Remember that God's word creates. In the Old Testament, we saw that the world was created through God's Word. In the New Testament, we see that Jesus, the Word become flesh, is the source of a new creation. In 2 Corinthians, we read, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new Has come. And remember that God's Word delivers. In the Old Testament, we saw God's Word delivered His people from physical destruction. In the New Testament, we see that Jesus, the Word become flesh, delivers us from the spiritual destruction that we deserve because of our sin. In 1 Thessalonians, we are told to wait for God's Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Why did the word become flesh on that day we will celebrate tomorrow? To save us. Our words cannot do it. We keep building towers to make a name for ourselves. But they never reach heaven. But what can reach heaven? In Genesis 28, well after the Tower of Babel failed, we read about Jacob's dream of a ladder or a stairway from earth into heaven. And unlike the Tower of Babel, we're told that the top of the ladder Jacob saw reached to heaven, and angels were ascending and descending. On it. Jacob called it the gate of heaven. Why is this important? Back in the first chapter of John, toward the end, we read about Jesus' calling of a few of his disciples. As he's talking with them, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending. I'm the Son of Man. The Son of Man is Jesus. He is the foundation for the ladder to heaven that Jacob saw. Jesus is the gate to heaven. Later in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, if you're listening tonight and you haven't yet placed your trust in Jesus as your Savior, trusting that he came to this world, he became flesh to live a perfect and sinless life, to die on the cross for the sins of those who trust him, and to come to life again, defeating sin and death. If you haven't responded to the call of these truths, then I want to encourage you to respond to these truths by, t- by turning from your sins and placing your faith in Jesus Christ, the word who became flesh. Or if you have questions on what this all means, please talk to someone that you came with tonight or stop and talk with someone in the doorway on your way out. We would love to talk to you more about this. Now, maybe you're pretty happy with what you've accomplished through your words and ideas. The views are pretty good atop the tower that you've built. Just remember, even at the pinnacle of your tower, you cannot reach heaven. Jesus, the word, is the only way. Or maybe you've been trying to use your words to build your tower for years and years and you are just tired. Stop building. Stop trying to reason and work your way closer to God. Jesus, the Word, who created the heavens and earth, became flesh. He came to the earth to save you. Or maybe nobody listens to what you say and you think, I have no voice. My words are not getting me anywhere. I wonder if you've recognized the important truth that you are in dire need of a Savior. I wonder if you can recognize God's mercy in this. Can you see that in this, God might be calling you to turn away from trusting in your words to trusting in His Word, His Son, Jesus Christ? He is the Word, and His promises of deliverance will never fail. Trusting in Him is the only way you will be rescued and given a path to forgiveness and eternal salvation. So on Christmas this year, let's remember to celebrate something of eternal importance. The Word became flesh. We now have the way. Trust in him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for sending your word to become flesh. Thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ to dwell among us. Thank you for sending him to rescue us from the eternal punishment that we deserve because of our sins if we just turn from our sins and place our trust in Jesus as our Savior. What a glorious gift this is, one that we do not deserve, but one that we celebrate each Christmas day. Help us to remember this gift of eternal importance tonight and tomorrow and in the weeks to come.